Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be a Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them. Why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. I imagine we're all able to share a story about a time when we were an innocent party and caught up in something that we were eventually blamed for. For example, when I was a child, I was forever getting into trouble and most often rightly blamed for things. But I do distinctly remember one time when it very, very, very wasn't my fault. So my older sister somehow and for some reason hatched a plan to undo the lock of our bathroom door from the outside and to do this whilst our au pair was inside the bathroom and on the toilet. I was only five at the time and was just doing what my sister told me to do. Well, that was my version of the story anyway, and especially when the au pair angrily strode, strode me downstairs to my parents, who sadly didn't believe me. It, I, still today, many years later, I, I still 
maintain that I was a victim of a tragic injustice and my sister got off scot-free. Well, the passage from the Bible that we, re- we read out earlier tells the account of Jesus's trial and conviction. And it tells the event of how Jesus was unjustly condemned, even though he was an innocent king. It also tells us about Barabbas, a guilty condemned man who was allowed to go free as Jesus took his place. You see, in this passage, we have the heart of the Christian message that Jesus, the innocent son of God, came to take the place, not just of Barabbas, but of all of us. And to die on the cross for sinners like us, that we might have a relationship with God. And as a church family, we really need to hear this message this morning. It's like a big reset button. Because this is a comforting, eternal news in the midst of the current uncertain times that we're living through. It might be that for those of us listening this morning who would not call themselves Christians, that all that has happened in the world over the last few weeks through this pandemic, well, it's exposed your worldview. It's exposed that what you built your life on, what you considered important to you, what gave you stability and identity is no longer as strong as you thought it was. So I hope you'll hear this morning that the Christian good news is something that you can build your life upon. It's something that will last for eternity. Because it's news that opens a relationship with God, who is in control of all our circumstances. And therefore, this is the news that is exceptionally comforting, exceptionally grounded, exceptionally good. Over the past few weeks, as we lead into Easter, we've been looking at the accounts of Jesus's life as Luke records it in his biography of Jesus. And in particular, the last few chapters that record Jesus's arrest, trial, crucifixion, death and resurrection. That's why we're looking at this passage from the Bible this morning, because it follows on this story. What has happened so far? Well, we saw last week how Jesus was arrested and taken to an illegal trial before the Jewish authorities at the time. And in that trial, they found Jesus guilty of claiming to be God's Messiah. The technical term for that is blasphemy. That's falsely claiming to be equal with God. And yet their problem was they didn't have the authority to condemn someone to death. For that, they would have to seek the Roman governor's approval. And that's where our passage this morning begins, at the trial before the Roman governor, Pilate. And that brings us to our first point this morning, the unjust trial the unjust trial. Luke tells us that the Jewish authorities, who were the chief priests and teachers of the law, they took Jesus to Pilate, who was the Roman governor at at the time. Let me read verse one to you. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Luke's telling us that the authorities accused Jesus of three things, subversion, 
undermining the Roman tax system and claiming to be a, 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 claiming to be a, a rebel leader in the name of a false kingship. And it's interesting to note that Pilate goes straight to the third accusation. In other words, he, he, he's listened to all the accusations. The other two don't stack up. And the only accusation of merit was the one about Jesus being a king, which was basically the shorthand at the time for calling someone a political opponent of Rome. But even then, it doesn't take long for Pilate to find Jesus innocent of this. However, it's a measure of Pilate's insecurity that he tries to pass the buck. That's why he sends Jesus to Herod. Herod was the Roman governor over Galilee. That's the area of Judea where Jesus was born. And Pilate's logic goes, well, if Herod could pass judgment, then Pilate wouldn't have to. And Jesus's blood would be on Herod's hands and not his. So Jesus is taken to Herod. But Herod turns out to be a bit of a clown. It seems that he's got no interest in the matter at hand. Look at verse 8 to 12 with me. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd be wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see Jesus perform some sort of sign. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. In other words, Herod is only interested in party tricks. He wants Jesus to do a David Blaine and perform a miracle or some sort of amazing, amazing act for him. And that's why Jesus doesn't reply to Herod's questions. It's not out of disrespect. But because Jesus senses that Herod is no judge in this matter, he senses that Herod really hasn't got an interest in whether Jesus was innocent or guilty. In the end, after this non-event of a trial, Herod hands Jesus over to some soldiers for a bit of a roughing up. And he thinks that'll do. Justice is not Herod's concern. And that's why Jesus finds himself and his accusers back in Pilate's palace. And initially, it seems as though Pilate had enough authority to make the chief priests and the teachers of the law see sense. He gets everyone together. By this time, Luke says, there's a crowd that had gathered, probably cobbled together by the authorities. And Pilate says to everyone, including the crowd, we've had a look at Jesus. Everyone's heard about him, but nobody sees enough evidence to condemn him to death. What we'll do is we'll just give him a light whipping and that should make everyone happy. And then Luke tells us what happens next in verse 18. The whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. And this is where the injustice is most felt. Most felt. You've got Pilate, the highest human authority in the land, being swayed by an angry mob. Rather than saying, that's enough, go home. He offers the crowd a choice, a choice between a murderer, Barabbas, and an innocent man, Jesus. The crowd could choose who would live and who would die. And three times Pilate addresses the crowd to see sense in the situation. They were choosing to condemn an innocent man and release a guilty man. But in the end, he gives in. 
Verse 23 says this, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that Jesus be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demands. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Matthew gives a bit more detail. He says, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. Pilate literally washed his hands of Jesus and handed Jesus over to be crucified. In this, in this section of the passage, what Luke is describing is what is possibly the worst reactions to the question of who Jesus is. Right through the passage, we have the religious leaders rejecting Jesus and wanting him dead because Jesus claims to be God. They've taken all the evidence, Jesus's miracles, his teaching, his compassion and love for the oppressed of society. They've, they've seen his love for God. They've heard his word, but they have decided that Jesus is not who he claims to be. They believed him to be an imposter, a dangerous man who deserves death. Pilate, on the other hand, doesn't know what to do with Jesus. And rather than nail his colours to the mast, he just goes along with the crowd. And then there's Herod, who wastes an opportunity of a one-to-one -one chat with the Son of God. Because he's interested in magic tricks. When you see this passage from that angle... Can you understand how easy it is to miss Jesus' true identity? Can you see that what we see in this passage still happens today? Many people throughout history, and even today, miss Jesus' true identity because like these religious leaders, they're blinded to Jesus by prejudice. I've heard people say, I, I don't want to believe in Jesus because he's going to spoil all my fun. I don't want to believe in Jesus because that will make me a religious freak like you. I don't want to believe in Jesus because I want control over my life. Others like Pilate are too scared of what others think to make a decision about Jesus. I don't know about Jesus because I, I'm scared of what my friends will think if I say I'm a Christian. I don't know about Jesus because I'm scared of what people will think when I start to follow what Jesus teaches about marriage, about sex, about alcohol. Others, like Herod, are too distracted by what they want out of Jesus to give him time.
again, sadly, many religious people feel that by doing church, by singing in the choir, by playing the organ, by doing the flower rota, it keeps Jesus where they want. And they're too distracted by what they're doing to see who Jesus really is. Well, if any of these people or types of people describe you, can you realise the sadness? The sadness of how mistaken you are. To be prejudiced, to be scared, to be distracted and not to see the innocent son of God going to his death. It was an unjust unjust trial. But the next thing we see is Jesus, the innocent son of God. This is the second point. Jesus, the innocent son of God. Another reason why Luke wants us to read this is because he wants us to see that Jesus was innocent when he, he was condemned. And he does this by showing us that Jesus fulfilled one of the most important prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. You see, 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet called Isaiah wrote a prophecy about Jesus. Let me read to you from Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? That was written 700 years before Jesus. But isn't it interesting how it describes exactly what is happening in this passage? By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? No one. The crowd were baying for his blood. And Luke wants us to join the dots. Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy in, even in his arrest and condemnation. Things that Jesus couldn't stage. In other words, what Luke is saying is Jesus is truly God's son. Perfect and innocent in, fulfill, in complete control of fulfilling all of the words said about him in the Old Testament. And doing God's will even unto death. Why was it important for Jesus to be so innocent? Well, because he was innocent, he was the only one who could be punished for the sins of others. Now, that word sin has caused a lot of confusion in the past. Some people think it means a harmless bit of fun, like jumping a queue or riding backwards on the handlebars of a motorbike. Others see it as a word to describe bad things we associate with other people or really bad people, like adulterers or murderers. But, you know, God uses it in the Bible to describe the attitude in our heart against God. Sin describes the attitude, the heart attitude, that wants God on the sidelines of our lives and not at the centre of our lives. Sin is the attitude that ignores what we know will please God and instead does what pleases us. And because our sin is against God, God is angry at us because of it. And our relationship with God is not right. It's like an unresolved issue 
that we need to, to, to have sorted out before we can ever have a relationship with God. In other words, we can't know God till our sin is dealt with. And that's why Jesus comes into the world. Peter, the apostle, uh, later explains it more fully uh, uh, about Jesus' innocence. He says this in 1 Peter 2, verse uh, 22 and 23. He committed no sin. He's talking about Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, to God. You see, Jesus had to be sinless in order to do his work. Because if Jesus had sinned, it would show that he was a sinner in need of rescue, just like the rest of us. If Jesus had sinned, we would have no hope of being forgiven by God, no hope of a right right relationship with God. You see, the thing is, in order to take the punishment for someone else's sin, you have to be free from sin yourself. It's a bit like if you had a beautiful uh, linen, beautiful white linen tablecloth. In order to clean that tablecloth, we need clean water. Because only clean water can carry away the dirt on it. If we try to clean a a, a beautiful tablecloth, white tablecloth, in dirty water, it will have no cleansing effect. In the same way, God's saviour had to be clean, had to be sinless, had to be innocent. Only then could he cleanse us from our sin. And by showing that Jesus was innocent, Luke is telling us that Jesus is free from sin and able to do the work he came to do. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. That's what the Bible tells us. But the question is, how how does he do that? He does that by taking our place. And this is our last point this morning. Jesus, the innocent son of God, takes our place. Jesus, the innocent son of God, takes our place. Luke records the story of Barabbas to show us a picture of what Jesus came to do. Look at verse 20 with me. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. The one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. The whole episode is topsy-turvy. By that I mean the reality is the opposite of the way things appear. The one who refused to be a rebel is led away to be condemned and crucified. And the one who is a murderer is treated like an innocent man and freed. 
Not only that, but the name Barabbas means son of the father. So in the account, Luke shows us two sons of the father. Jesus, who calls himself son of God, and Barabbas. So at this point of the story, the picture of God's plan for the world is spelt out. Jesus came into this world as a man to identify himself with sinners like us. And his work is enacted in the swap that takes place between Jesus and Barabbas. You've got to have that picture in your mind. In front of Pilate are two men, one a murderer, the other a saviour, and Pilate frees the murderer and condemns the saviour. And as the choice is made, the bewildering thing happens. The innocent son of the father takes the place of the guilty Barabbas. And it's a picture of the work that Jesus is about to do for the world as he goes to the cross. Because Jesus didn't just take the place of Barabbas that day. As he was led away to the cross, it was there that he would take the place of rebels like you and me. He went to the cross to suffer the punishment and shame, not just for Barabbas's sin, but for our sin too. And the offer is simple. We're all sinners. God is angry at the way we relate to him. But Luke shows us here that the true son of God, true son of the father, gave up his life so that we might all become sons of the father. I wonder what you make of that explanation. I realise it might be that this is the first time you've really listened to the Bible explained in this way. And you might have lots of questions. Well, can I encourage you to go to the church website and contact the church office? We'll get someone to give you a Skype call or send you a book to read. Look into it, I guess, is what I'm saying. Don't just leave this here. Look into it. Because this is the greatest Christian good news that you will ever hear. That Jesus, the son of the father, takes the our place before God so that we might become a child of God ourselves. It might be that you're far away from God. That you've done church for years but never realised how sinful you are and how loving God is. It could be that as a Christian, you've needed to hear the good news of Jesus' love in the middle of this difficult week. You see, in the midst of really difficult news about our current life circumstances, where everything is changing on a daily basis and the normality we once took for granted has been suspended, isn't it great to rejoice in this unchanging news? God has dealt with a problem far bigger than coronavirus. God has taken our place. God has dealt with our sin that once separated us from him so that we can know him and experience his astounding love, whatever is going on around us. And I don't know where you are this morning, spiritually speaking, 
But the invitation is there, isn't it? You may be resenting God right now. You may be thinking God is a killjoy. I would never want him uh, to be in relationship with me. But do you realise this expression of God's love completely trumps that sort of argument? If Jesus is willing as an innocent man, as a perfect man, as a sinless man, to take your place before God and give you a relationship with God, one, it says he's a great lover of your soul. And two, it says he really wants us to know the love of the Father. So the offer is on the table. What are you going to do with it? Will you ignore it? Walk away from it? Like the teachers of the law? Like Pilate? Like Herod? Or will you accept the offer that the Son of the Father is willing to become the sinner in our place so that we might become the sons of the Father? Well, let's pray together and let's speak to Jesus and ask him to stand in our place before God that we might be forgiven. Let's pray now. Dear Father God, we praise you for your word that so clearly explains the work that Jesus did on the cross. We thank you, Lord God, that Jesus had such compassion, such love for this world, such love for us personally, that he is willing, as the sinless perfect, spotless Lamb of God, Son of the Father, to take our place. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to understand this passage more. I pray for those of us who who are still struggling to accept this, still struggling to to realise the love of the Father. I pray that you would open their minds and their hearts this morning. And Lord God, for all of us who believe this and trust in Jesus, may this truth and this trust guide us in these uncertain times. Lord God, wherever we are spiritually, may these truths be the most important truths for us, even at this time, so that whatever whatever we experience, Whatever we go through in the coming weeks, this truth might ground us. That the Son of the Father gave up his life so that we might all become children of God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.